I'm Jimmy Evans, and this is the Marriage Day Podcast. On this season of the podcast, we're highlighting one of my favorite teaching series. Marriage on the Rock was first printed in 1994 and has helped millions of couples since. In Marriage on the Rock, we cover what it takes to have a successful biblical marriage. In today's episode, I'm talking about the four foundational laws of marriage. Enjoy this teaching. One of the most important things that we understand related to marriage is there are laws. And a lot of times people are fearful of marriage because they don't understand that there are laws associated with it. Now I'm a pilot, I'm a licensed pilot. I got my pilot's license last year. My family will not fly with me yet. I mean, let me give that disclaimer, but there are laws related to aerodynamics. And so I'm not afraid to fly as long as I'm respecting the laws because there are laws. Planes don't just fall out of the air is that you know, when you're, there's a plane that crashes or something that, that happens wrong, it just didn't happen you know, just, just by chance. It's something, something violated the laws of aerodynamics for that to happen. I say, when you don't understand the laws of marriage, it's a really scary thing. And it was for Karen and me. We got married at 19 years old. We didn't have any pre-marriage preparation before we got married, and so we didn't know. And honestly, I just thought, you're either lucky enough to marry the right person or you're unlucky and you marry the wrong person. And honestly, I loved Karen. I was very attracted to her. I thought I married the wrong person after a few years of marriage because, and she did too, because it just wasn't working. We didn't know. No one ever told us. We were violating every law of marriage. And so some of you watching right now, you love each other and God puts you together, but you may be frustrated. You may be discouraged. You may be fearful because you've failed before in marriages or you feel like you're failing now and you don't know what to do. I just want to give you the good news. When God creates anything, he creates it for success. And when God creates anything, he creates it upon the laws of his kingdom and the laws of his word. So when God created marriage, he said some very important words. And this is Genesis 2:24 and 25. You probably heard this before. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Now, I'd heard that scripture read, and I'd heard it at marriages and weddings and things like that, but I never knew that those were the four foundational laws of marriage, and that everything, God created marriage, and he spoke those words, and when he spoke those words, he created a, a foundation for marriage that would ensure that every marriage could succeed. Now, listen to what I'm about to say. You have a 100% chance of success in marriage. You, you were made for marriage. God made you in your mother's womb and you were made for marriage. And some people just think, I don't know that I can succeed in marriage. You know, I'm fearful of marriage. I have a 50-50 chance. You don't have a 50-50 chance. You have a 100% chance if you do it God's way. Let me tell you the other good news. It's not complicated. If it was complicated, I couldn't do it. God doesn't use me to do this because I'm special. God uses me to do this because if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's simple. There are four foundational laws of marriage, and once we understand these laws and just apply these laws, it changes everything. And it did for Karen and me. We were on the brink of divorce. We didn't, we didn't know anything about marriage. But once we begin to practice the four foundational laws of marriage, first of all, it tells you what to do. Secondly, when you start having problems, it tells you we're having problems because we're violating one of these, these laws of marriage. So the first law of marriage is the law of priority. And we'll go through these four laws. The Bible says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother. The word leave there doesn't mean you mistreat your father or mother. It just means you reprioritize. Before you get married, they're your closest blood kin. 
before you marry, if it came down to it, they're the most important priority in your life. But what it says is for this cause, not for every cause, but for this cause, you've got to reprioritize your relationship and don't be mean to your mom and dad. Don't you know, do anything unbecoming, but you've got to reprioritize and now your spouse becomes first. Mar Listen, marriage only works in first place. It won't work in any other place. And so we have to reprioritize our lives and able to do this. And so here's how to establish and maintain the right priorities in your marriage. There's two steps. One is they have to be proven in real terms, not just words. It, you can't just say you're first in my life. You have to prove that your spouse is first in your life. And here are four ways that you prove your priorities in marriage. They're very simple. One is sacrifice. What will you give up for me? It's real, it's real simple. What will you get? Golf, or, and golf is of the Lord, is that <laughs> golf almost ruined our marriage because Karen, early in our marriage, I golfed all the time. Karen wanted me to give up golf. I told her, I said, no, but you can come caddy for me. <laughs> it was a near-death experience. I saw the white light, the whole thing. And is that I wouldn't give up golf for her, but I didn't understand why she was so upset. What will you give up for me? Now, I want you to listen to me just a minute. Now, the, the second one is time. Sacrifice, what will you give up for me? The second one is time, consistent with priority. If you're telling me that I'm first, there has to be time. Time is the commodity of relationship. Money is the commodity of business. If I wanted to keep you from being successful in business, I just have to keep you away from money. If I can keep money from you, you'll never succeed in business because money is the essential commodity of business. Time is the essential commodity of relationship. To ruin your relationships, all I have to do is keep time away from you. And there's the old saying, if the devil can't get in front of you and stop you, he'll get behind you and push you too fast. Number two, so you have to prove your priorities. By the way, the four, four ways you prove your priorities, sacrifice, time, energy, and attitude. There has to be energy. It can't just be your home eating chicken, watching sports. You know, it's, there has to be some energy behind it and an attitude. The attitude is I want to be with you. This, you know, you're not a ball and chain. I really want to be with you and it's good. The second way that you prove priorities is you have to constantly protect them from good things out of priority. Good things out of priority. Most of the things that destroy marriages aren't bad things. They're good things out of priority. Let me give you an example. When I went into the ministry, Karen and I had a real problem early in our marriage with golf, work and golf. And I hung up my golf clubs for several years and it healed our marriage. Because what it communicated to Karen is, she was first in my life. And, and I gave her then the time that golf was taking from her. And now she doesn't mind if I play golf because she knows that she comes first. But when I came into the ministry, I, I was in business before I came into the ministry. I was in ministry, didn't have any friends in ministry, 29 years old, and I was obsessed. Well, I had fear, fear of failure, fear of rejection. All those things were motivating me. And uh, I worked too much. And when I came home, Karen, Karen was, Karen's the best wife in the world, and she was totally supportive of me being in ministry and pastoring and all that, but I would come home after 12 or 14 hour days, and when I came home, again, Karen's a great wife, but she would say, Brent needs this, Julie needs this, I need this. And that's not what I wanted to hear. What I wanted to hear when I came home is, thank you for saving the world from evil. And uh, <laughs> you're... You're the greatest man on earth and come in. You don't have to lift a finger. We're going to do everything for you. But she didn't do that. Julie needs this, Brent needs this, and I need this. And it's like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. And she said, I know you're tired. And, but Julie needs this, Brent needs this, and I need this. And 
And so we got in a fight over it. And I just thought she's persecuting the Lord's anointed. And uh, I, I did. That's what I thought. I just thought that. So I told her that, by the way. Well, we got in a fight. We got in a big fight over it. And finally, I decided I'm sleeping on the couch. I'm not going to let, let the sister have the blessing of me being in bed with her. And I think she slept better, actually. For the, honestly. I slept on the couch for several nights. I knew she was wrong. I, I knew she was wrong. No, no doubt in my mind she was wrong. And I was laying there one night, sanctimoniously, and I was laying there th like third night on the couch, and I was praying for her. And I thought, Lord, help her. You know, she... Here's what the Lord spoke to me. I'll never forget it. Spoke to my heart. Jimmy, you have communicated to Karen in real terms that the church is more important than she is. Now you repent and you go tell her you're wrong. And I thought, you mean I've spent three nights on the couch to hear that? <laughs> and I went and I told Karen, I said, I'm, Karen, I'm full of fear. I'm, I'm driven. I'm giving everything to the church. And I said, I'm so sorry. And I said, I'm gonna leave the ministry. I'll go back in the appliance business. We'll get our lives right. And Karen said, Jimmy, you're supposed to be in the ministry. Don't, don't leave the ministry, but we need you first. And from that point forward, I changed because I decided I wasn't going to lay my family on the altar of success. And, and let me say this, because, you know, all the pastors, these wonderful pastors there, sometimes we get confused between God and church. The most important thing in my life is God, but that's my personal relationship with God. That's not church. The second most important thing in my life is my wife. The third is my children. The fourth is in church and extended family and work. It comes all the way down here. And like I said before, a lot of times the things that are threatening our relationship aren't bad things. They're good things out of priority. Children, nothing is as important, God in a marriage, children. But some people say, they say, well, my, my children, you know, I, I live for my children. That's good, but listen, your children are a temporary assignment. They, they come and go. Listen, I remember when they get, put our kids in our hands, and I remember when we gave them away at their weddings. And they don't want you following around the rest of their life. They want to be in relationship. <laughs> but listen, when you give your, your marriage up for your children, how are your children going to succeed in marriage if you don't show them how? The number one law of marriage is the law of priority. It only works in first place. Let me say this. It's a challenge, and, and uh, some of you may be violating that law, and, and your spouse is complaining. They feel jealous, and they're complaining about your work. They're complaining about the kids. They're complaining about this or that. Not bad things, just good things out of priority. What your spouse needs to hear from you in real terms is, I'll make any changes in my life I need to make, but except for Jesus Christ, you are the priority in my life. It's not a principle. It's for a few. It's a law. It's the only way that marriage works. Number two, law of marriage is the law of pursuit. A man shall cleave to his wife. Marriage is work. Is you have to work at it. It's some you know some people. A lot of people have misconceptions about marriage. When it says a man shall cleave unto his wife, the word cleave there means to pursue with all energy. It means to cling on to. It's an energetic word. And so from the very beginning, God told us. Marriage is work. You have to work at it. You know, when you, when you fall in love, you work at the relationship. When I was 16 years old, I asked Karen out. We were 16 years old. Uh, we went to elementary and junior high school together, but we didn't know each other. In high school, we started dating when I invited her to a three-dog night concert. And uh, 1969 or so. I had a 1969 Dynamic 88 Oldsmobile 
that my mother wrecked and gave to me. She, she did that with all my brothers. She wrecked a car and gave us the car that she wrecked and got herself a new one. And I worked a scrub-a-dub car wash when I asked Karen out. And I had hair down to here and, you know, I was kind of a hood and everything. So I, I asked her out. But when I asked her out, I remember that I just knocked myself out before I picked her up. I washed my car that day and I pulled up. I always pulled up on the good side of the car. When I put, it was months before she knew my car was wrecked because I always pulled up on the good side of the car. And I just knocked myself out to be mannerly. You know, those were the days that you drove well. And, uh, you know, I drive just real carefully. If we hit a little bump, I'd say, are you okay? You know, five minutes later, we hit a bar ditch. I'd say, toughen up, stop griping. You know, and it's just the way that it is back then. And so I would just work, work, work. But as soon as I knew that I had her, I began to take her for granted. And that's human nature. We work until we get something secured, then we take it for granted. Well, that's why marriage doesn't work. For the rest of your life, well, again, we've been married 39 years. It's been 42 years since we started dating. Today, we work at our marriage, and our marriage is great as long as we work at it. it it's, never, it's never different than that. It, no one is the exception to this, but a lot of people have misconceptions related uh, to marriage. And we have to get these misconceptions out of our mind. The first is if I marry the right person, the emotions will happen naturally and effortlessly throughout our marriage. If I marry the right person, the emotions will just always be there. Every morning I'm going to wake up and look at you and just go, hallelujah. Oh. <laughs> it's happening again. <laughs> no, you're going to open your eyes and smell her breath and, you know, <laughs> see them in the harsh morning light and there's no such thing. Now listen why this is so important. Because there are a lot of people that believe there's something wrong if I have to work at it. If I married my soulmate, and this is the word that's being used a lot today, soulmate. I'm looking for my soulmate. Let me tell you something about your soulmate. A, they're really messed up. Okay. If you think your soulmate is this person that you see and you just go, oh, like that. Well, you may fall in love with them, but they're still messed up. Let me tell you another thing about soulmates. They're not born, they're made. The best marriages are not two perfect people who get together in chemistry strikes and they live happily ever after. The best marriages are two very different people who have a lot of incompatibility that roll up their sleeves and go through lots of trouble together, but they stay together and work it out and they come out as best friends. Number three, misconception of love and romance. Positive events, experiences, and actions should fuel the relationships and our emotions long-term. In other words, if we take a trip to Hawaii or if we have a big Valentine's weekend or whatever, that's gonna last for a long time. And uh, that's not true. Uh, marriage operates on the manna principle. The children of Israel woke up every morning when they were in the wilderness and for 40 years, every day manna was there and God said, you can't accumulate it. You, you can only pick up one day's worth, except before the Sabbath, you can pick up two days worth. He said, but you have to pick it up every day. First thing they did is the Israelites went out and took all they could and put it in their tents. You know? And what happened is it says it bred worms and stank. They were trying to accumulate it. And God says, no, I want you to learn to relate to me every day and trust me every day. A relationship with Jesus is an everyday thing, not an every month thing or an every year thing. Love is a perishable commodity. Yesterday's love is worthless. It has to be renewed every single day. It doesn't matter what your emotions were a year ago. I'm telling you, I've been a Christian for 40 years. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I go three or four days without praying and reading the Bible, it changes. I mean, God doesn't change, but it changes me. 
I've got to have a daily relationship with God. The love and the passion that I have for God, it has to be something that's expressed daily, not monthly, not annually. Same is true with Karen. Marriage is a daily thing that we, that we need to love each other every day. Now, this, men, men are the worst. Women kind of get that. But men are the worst related to this because men think in terms of points. You know, how many points do I have in the bank? And how can I'm in trouble, so how can I accumulate some big points in a hurry to get out of trouble? And uh, men and points. So here, here are how men kind of think about points. Here are the big points for men. Date, that's, that's a good point. Flowers, always a winner. Card, jewelry. Jewelry's big, 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 big. Housework, trip, giving up a sporting event, taking care of the kids, going shopping with her. The ultimate now is going to a girl movie where there's no killing. And that's the ultimate. Like that. You know you're in love when you're willing to do that. I went to see the horse whisperer with Karen and I just thought I was gonna die. I really did. I is. But the uh, some men say that points, point system, yeah, great. Okay, here here's the way it works. So you take her on a trip, you know, you do something big for her, and you're thinking, man, that was big, that cost a lot of money, that's gonna last for a long time. All points evaporate at midnight every night. Jewelry lasts maybe two to three days. And uh, it's, it's, that's the biggest of all. And you're, you're just thinking, man, I am Don Juan. I have, you know, I took her out on this big date. I did this and this and this. And boy, do I have some big points. And so you wake up the next morning, she's just kind of hanging over your bed. <laughs> you're saying, hey, good morning. Hello. <laughs> well, honey, good morning. I mean, what about our trip to Hawaii? What? Get up, get up. You're just thinking, my gosh, I did all that yesterday. That was yesterday. What are you gonna do today? It's an everyday, they don't accumulate. I'm just telling you right now, marriage is an everyday deal. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. What are you gonna do today? Every single day. And again, we have the tendency to want to accumulate points so that we can you know, ride those for two or three months while we're out checked out doing something else. Marriage is an everyday thing. And here's another misconception. When we have no emotions or have fallen out of love, there is no way to get the love back. We all there is. In Revelation chapter two, Revelation chapter three, God says to the church at Ephesus that has fallen out of love with him, remember where you fell from, repent, and do the deeds you did at first. When Karen and I fell out of love, the way we fell back in love was very simple. We didn't have any emotions. We didn't like each other. We thought that we had made a mistake and we were both very scarred in our marriage. But we began to do what we did when we first fell in love. We began to pursue each other. I, I, first of all, I told her I was sorry. I hung up my golf clubs. We made each other first. We began to be together and, and work at the relationship. Let me say this. Within several weeks, we were more in love than we'd ever been before. It didn't take forever. If, if you're, some people say they're out of love. We, I understand. We had no emotion in our relationship except, except for negative emotion. Several weeks later, we were passionate about each other. Now listen, listen to me. When you start violating the laws of marriage, the devil always comes in to tell you that you made a mistake and the only answer is to divorce and all that. All you have to do is put each other first and start working at it. And you'll get the love back. Let me go to the third law of marriage. The third law of marriage is the law of possession. 
And that means God created marriage to share everything. He says, they too shall become one flesh. For this cause, a man shall reprioritize his life and his parents. Now, they're not gonna be first any longer. And he's going to work hard to pursue his spouse. And by the way, that's addressed to men there, working hard to pursue your wife. And they too shall become one flesh. And what this means is we share everything in this marriage. And this, this is gonna sound like kind of a, a, a simplistic statement. Marriage is about sharing. It doesn't matter if you have kids in common. It doesn't matter if you share the same house. It doesn't matter if you share a checkbook. Do you share life? Marriage is about sharing. And when the Bible uses the term for intimacy in marriage, it says one. Now here's what this means. Everything before you got married that you owned and administrated individually, now you do it together with no exceptions. It's our money, it's our time, it's our children, even from a blended family. And let me say this, one of the most important things in blended families is giving your spouse ownership of the children. And I'll say something else about that in just a minute. It, they may not be the biological parent, but they have to have full ownership. Anything that I will not give to you going into the relationship will create problems in our marriage. In fact, it creates jealousy, just the way that I said before. But here's the way that people violate the law of possession. One is dominance. Some people, and it's very common, in most marriage, marriages, there's a dominant partner in most marriages. But dominance destroys the passion and intimacy of marriage. Men and women are totally equals in every way. Karen and I never discuss who the boss in our marriage is because Jesus Christ is the boss of our marriage. And we were totally equals. But when we first got married, I was dominant. You can be dominant through the force of your personality. You can be dominant through intimidation. In other words, you're gonna pay a price if you cross me. You're gonna pay a price if you speak your mind. Uh, you, can be, you can be dominant through manipulation. But dominance is as common for men as it is women. And women as it is men. It's not a male issue or a female issue. It's a gender neutral issue. But dominance simply means I'm not gonna share. It's mine. Basically, it's mine. And I'm gonna control it. It's my kids, my money, my house, my schedule, whatever it is. And so, but it's always destructive. They've done studies on dominance and it's always proven where you have dominance present in a relationship and to the degree that you have dominance present, it lowers the satisfaction of the marriage because there's one spouse being dominated. They're not an equal, they're not sharing. They're, they're being controlled basically. Another problem with the law of possession is independence, is that I'm just gonna, do my own thing. I counseled a couple one time and she said, well, he goes to that side of the house and I go to this side of the house. And she said, I sit over here all night and he sits over there all night in his office gambling. And she said, that's our marriage right there in a nutshell. And she had done everything she could to try to reach out to him. And, uh, and I told him, I just said, you know, marriage is about sharing. And he, he was independent. And marriage is brutal on selfish people. Marriage is not about independence. Marriage is about interdependence. If you want to be independent, stay single. But even if you're single, you're not independent. You need God. We're dependent upon God. Independence and selfishness destroys a marriage. Interdependence. I need you. I didn't get married so I could live alone on that side of the house. I got married so I could share my life with someone. And this is, a, this is an interesting scripture. This is 1 Corinthians 7. It says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is so profound that the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is saying, when you get married, you actually give authority sexually 
of your body over to your spouse. This is not a license for abuse. This is just a license for use. And what this ensures is the fact that I'm not gonna use my body against you or as a weapon or as a bargaining chip. This is not my body. This is your body to take care of your needs. And that is the spirit of marriage the way God designed it. They too shall become one flesh and protection. I'm I'm not gonna protect the kids from you. I'm not gonna protect the money from you. We're partners. We're gonna make all of our decisions together. You establish the law of possession in your marriage by asking your spouse's input on every decision and never making a decision without your spouse and never making your spouse pay a price for telling you the truth. The spirit of a good marriage is we're partners here. We may be different. We may have different money languages. We may have different needs. We may have different perspectives, but that just makes us better. That just makes us stronger. There's one other law of marriage, just the law of purity. It says the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. And this is before the fall. This is before sin entered the Garden of Eden. Isn't it wonderful that God, by the way, the word Eden means pleasure and delight. God, God created marriage in a place that means pleasure and delight. And he, he created Adam and Eve naked. Isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that just great? They were naked? I mean, <laughs> you think about how God created marriage. It was great. And, uh, and so they were naked until the fall. And you remember after the fall, the first thing that happened is they put on fig leaves. And they began to hide from each other. Now listen, they put the fig leaves on their genitals, which are the areas where you're different and you're most sensitive. Those are the most sensitive areas of your body. What's the point? When you're living your marriage in purity, you can expose your differences and you can talk about all the sensitive areas of your marriage without a problem. But when you have sin in your marriage and you're sinning against each other, you cannot trust each other and you have to hide your differences and your sensitivities. When Karen and I got married, I was verbally abusive and dominant. And um, I didn't know my wife. I didn't know I didn't know my wife, but you know, I had so hurt her through the things that I had said that she was covered with fig leaves. I mean, literally, she, she wasn't gonna tell me about the sensitive areas of her life because you know, when I got mad, I would take advantage of it. And I was just insensitive. When I repented in living in purity, the law of purity just simply means this. I have to be careful about what I do because everything I do affects you. And when I make, when I make a mistake, I have to take responsibility for it. Those are two things I didn't do. I wasn't careful, and I'd never said I was sorry. And I didn't know my wife. We didn't have intimacy. We had sex. She was good about meeting my sexual needs, but we didn't have any intimacy in sex because we didn't know each other. We didn't talk on any deep level. I went to Karen, and I asked her for her forgiveness when I hung my golf clubs up and when the Lord began to change my heart. Um, I asked for her forgiveness, and she forgave me. And she said, Jimmy, you really wounded me with your mouth. And I said, I understand that, Karen. I said, I'm sorry, and I ask you to forgive me. And so the fig leaf started coming off her. And she began, it didn't happen overnight, but you know, after several weeks and several months, I noticed that she began to tell me things I didn't know. And one day she was talking to me, and she told me something, and I said, well, how long has that been going on? She said, well, years. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me that before? And she said, I couldn't trust you. But today the sister's naked. And uh, (laughs) life is good. (laughs) Life is real good. But, you know, you can live in the same house, but I'm not, if you got a mouth on you, if, if you hurt my feelings and you're disrespectful to me and you're sarcastic 
and you're critical and you won't take responsibility for it. You think my heart is a holy of holies and it's a sensitive place in all of us. We're more, all of us are more sensitive than we would want to admit. I cannot trust my heart of hearts to somebody who won't take responsibility for their behavior. When you're careful in the way that you treat each other and when you take responsibility for your mistakes, the fig leaves come off. And when it says the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed, it meant mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, they could talk about anything without shame. No shame. I'm not, I'm not afraid in any way that you will reproach me because I trust you. You're my safe place. You're my safe place. So your spouse, we should be each other's safe place where I will be careful and if I do something wrong, I'll take responsibility for it. But remember, blame transfer was the original sin of marriage. God came to Adam and said, Adam, what is this that you've done? He said, it's her fault. <laughs> Eve, what is this that you've done? Devil made me do it. I honestly believe if they would have taken responsibility for their issues, that God would have had a different response to them. Hey, this is Brent Evans with Exo Marriage, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, hey, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out exomarriage.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, articles, and live events.